This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 51. This is Writing Excuses, Q&A on showing your work. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. And we have special guest star, Daniel Jose Older. Yay! (laughs) And our wonderful cruise members have submitted one last set of questions for us to pontificate upon regarding submissions. And so I'm just going to jump into this. Brad asks, what's the best way to meet editors and agents at conventions? Barcon, um, <laughs> dressed. Barcon, dressed. hanging out dressed. in the bar. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, seriously, though, um, a lot of times they're on panels yeah. and go to panels and watch yeah. them so that you actually have something to talk about. Uh, and when you do meet them, do not immediately say, I have this manuscript and I want to talk to you about that. Talk to them about anything except business. Mm-hmm. Let them be the first person to bring up business. Conversely, you can, I mean, they are there for business. So I've always found if you ask them what they're working on and they're excited about. Right. That, I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. it's uh, Fair enough. Don't, yeah. don't talk to them about, about your, your business. business. <laughs> but if you ask them, oh, I really, you know, and don't lie about these things. That's why you should have done your homework. But if you can say, oh, I've really liked some of the books you've worked on. Um, like when we met Moshe, I asked what he'd worked on. He said, oh, I've been working on this Lee Modisit books. And I had actually just read some of them. And I said, I think those are great books. And it was one of these immediate connections because I had actually been reading in my genre and reading from the publishers that I wanted to publish with. And so editors and agents will be excited to tell you about what they're excited about. So so let's take a step backward then and talk about some of that homework that you need to do. Uh, When we started doing this, the cons that you go to to connect with editors and agents often will have their guest lists posted on the website. And so that's where you get on and find out which one of those many, many names are editors. And then you, that's how you do it. You look up which panels they're going to be on. You look up what they've worked on. Make sure that you, you know, you don't don't rely on lucking into them having worked on a book you just read. Yeah. Yeah, Unbeknownst to uh, our audience here and to Brandon and Mary and, Daniel, uh, Dan and I uh, interviewed uh, Mike Underwood and Marco Palmieri about hand-selling your work to editors and agents, and that episode will have aired just prior to this one, and they had lots of great things to say. Convenient! Wow! It's like someone planned that. Mm. I would also say, don't feel like you have to do the whole pitch right there in person. Right, Um, yeah. First of all, they're probably tired of hearing pitches. Second of all, that's exhausting and and, Mm -hmm. and Um, nerve-wracking. You can just get their card and ask if you can send them something, and that's your whole pitch. You know, half the time or more, that's exactly what happened. That's how I did it. Can I send you something? Like, yeah, here's my card. Um, Half the time they'd say, oh, Give me a pitch. I would never pitch unless they asked for yep. it. Right. And then I would give them the two-line elevator pitch. And they would like almost always just say, oh, that sounds great. Send me three chapters. Yes. Once on a blue moon, they asked for more, and you entered an actual conversation about the story. But you shouldn't be re- you know, you shouldn't be expecting that. You should be ready for it, but not expecting. And it. have that elevator pitch ready, not yes. to the point that it sounds. Uh, you can over rehearse something. Let's be honest, where it sounds a little too prim. But you don't want to stand there trying to work it out in your head right then and there. Have a sense of it so that you can just throw it out there. It's important. 
All right, let's go to another question because let's say you're not going to the cons and you just need to write a killer query letter. And Erica asks how to write a query letter partially because I asked her to ask that because no one had asked it yet and I know we didn't cover it um, last time. So thank you, Erica. But let's say you're not going to the cons. That means you just need a query letter that jumps out at them. How do you do that? I don't know how because I was always (laughs) terrible at it. I think it's one of the hardest things that we do. Um, that, in a way, and synopses, I think, are, are somewhat easier, although some people hate those more. But with a synopsis, you just have to say what happened. With a query, you have to sell it, and you have to do it very concisely and very precisely. And that's why it's so hard. But really, I think clarity is king. You just need to get across what exactly it is and who you are in as quick and clearly a way as possible. And that's not easy. Um, but you want to also give a little sense of style without being too cheeky. Yeah, that's Balance. tough. I, uh, it can only be one page. Don't let a query yeah, go exactly. longer than it's one page. Exactly, it's got to be short, right mm-hmm. to the point. I have a, uh, a formula that I've talked about before, which is a great place to start for these sorts of summaries. Uh, character, conflict, setting, hook. Hmm. If your book has a dozen different characters, d- d- don't lead with that. Give us a person to attach to. Yes. If your setting is enormous and spans a dozen books... Don't give us that. Give us a scene that we can see. Put that character in a position. Uh, give us a conflict, and then and then plant the hook. And I don't I don't know what the hook is, but as you uh, last uh, uh, two weeks ago, Daniel, as you uh, pitched um, uh, Half Resurrection Blues. What's the main character's name? Again? Carlos de la Cruz. Okay, uh, Carlos. Uh, and I'm making stuff up because I haven't read it. Carlos you know, collects <laughs> souls for the Council of the Dead and uh, falls in love with a girl who is the sister of his next target, and he thinks everything's going to be cool until his target's dying breath is protect my sister from the Council of the Dead. That sounds like a whack book. It does. <laughs> but see, that's, that's, that's very, very concise. Yeah, that was and great. even though there's a bunch of other stuff in there... Oh, no, that was great. I have made myself want to read that book. Yes, <laughs> I do too, and I wrote it. But I also think... Um, it, with, that's perfectly said too. Just the, the, if you have a little list like that, and I, I would say that conflict is probably the most slept on, mm. because a lot of people get in the mindset of you're you're kind of writing the back of the book, but the back of the mm-hmm. book doesn't usually get too deep into the conflict. It just kind of gives you the setup and oh, hilarity ensues, whatever. That's not helpful. You need to give some sense of the. That's the main way that they are different. Or one of the main ways you have to give a sense of conflict. It's hard to do because it's a sketch, really. Yeah, Yeah. and and focusing on the conflict can help you stay away from the trap of describing your science fictional element. Right. You know, I I can't count the number of times someone's tried to pitch a book to me by saying, well, in this world, the magic works like blah, blah, blah. And like, nope, that's the wrong pitch. Yep. Sometimes it's the wrong pitch. Sometimes it's the right pitch. Uh, So if you pitch it the right way, what Dan just said was a boring pitch. The idea is you Mm -hmm. try to distill your story down to one Cool concept. Yeah. Right. Whatever the one cool concept that is going to make someone say, I want to know more. I, I, I would actually say that the, the, when you're picking the one cool concept, um, pick the thing that you yourself are the most excited about. Mm-hmm. Don't try to pick the thing that sounds like it's going to sell. Pick the thing that you are the most excited about because you represent a target market. Right. You know, you represent a target audience. And remember that you don't need to tell the whole story. If it's this big, sweeping, epic adventure, but the thing you're most excited about is the character journey, and actually the character journey takes up a lot of it and, and is the significant part of the story, talk about the character journey. 
you know, and, and focus on those conflicts. Don't focus on the sub, you know, don't even yep. mention the subplots in your query letter. Yeah, right. Definitely. And if it doesn't say someone is killing all the were pigeons, it's not urban fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll quote you on that one. That's, that yeah. goes in the liner notes. Um, <laughs> exactly. All right. It so down now. <laughs> this is, this is along these same lines. Danielle asks, should I mention my freelance articles if they are published in a janky website on a janky website? How janky? janky How janky? What do you mention as credentials in your query letter is what this is getting at. Because a query letter does have several things. It will, you do mention credentials, legitimate ones. You also mention a little bit about yourself and then a larger chunk about the story. A lot of it has to do just with how you present it. Um, a lot of the early stuff I did during and right out of college was I ran what is essentially a, a game review zine. Um, and it was just me and my friends goofing around and playing games and then writing about it on the internet. But to cast that as I was the editor of a game review website for five years makes it sound really cool. Right. And, and to be fair, I, I did enough actual real editorial work and mm-hmm. writing on that that if they followed up on it, mm-hmm. I wouldn't look like a liar. Right. Yeah, when I was trying to sell my, my um, YA urban fantasy uh, which I never sold, but um, <laughs> because it had first novel problems. Uh, but it was, uh, sorry, middle grade urban fantasy. Um, I mentioned in that one that I was a professional puppeteer who had worked with puppeteers from China on the Monkey King because it was a Monkey King story. Mm-hmm. Um, That's an excellent credential. Um, yeah. And, relevant. Yeah. yeah. Relevant. But mentioning yeah. that I am a puppeteer who's worked on Monkey King stories with ch- puppeteers from China will not help me sell Shades of Milk and Honey, right. which is a Regency romance. <laughs> right. I, I think the bio is probably the most overthought of and least important part of the thing, of the, of the query itself, because it, it, it can only help, basically, unless you overdo it. Uh, but having a slim bio, I don't think is gonna really. You. I don't think anyone's gonna be like, "Oh, this person only published once." In, I may be putting on Tumblr. A, I may be putting too bold of a stake in the ground, but I think it's increasingly important in your bio to state how many years you've been listening to writing excuses. Yeah, yes. yes, definitely, definitely. Oh, and, and you can work in Hugo Award winning there. Hugo yeah, Award winning pot. So they see Hugo. <laughs> no, don't do that. Um, <laughs> you, don't you know, do that. It's, it's worth pointing out. This is actually a a debate fallacy that gets called out if you've ever taken a debate class or law school or anything like that. It's called appeal to authority. And so you you need your work to be able to stand on its own and your editor will like it because it's good, not because somebody else liked it first. Mm-hmm. Right. And so don't rely on, well, I studied under X or I, you know, sent this to Brandon Sanderson and he liked it. That's not what's going to sell it. Yeah, actually, let me let me talk about that very specifically as, as short stories when you're doing your, your query letter because the query letter for short stories and novels is totally different. Mm. For short stories, you say, this is, you know, I'm submitting my story for your consideration. This is how long it is. Uh, here are my credentials, if I have any. And that's it. You do not describe the story. You just, because it's a short story. Right. And you, the, if, if they can't figure it out... You've got a problem. Well, there goes Christie's question. Well done. All right, thank you. <laughs> so um, I anticipated it, but yes. but the but in the short story land, the the function that the credentials serve is not to say, "I am a great writer and you should hire me." That's not it. It's uh, I have. I have worked reliably and am not a crazy person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's basically it. Um, that's all they're looking for. And if you don't have any 
credentials, they're not upset about that. Most of what editors use query letters for in short stories is to write notes on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're the sort of person who invents credentials, what you're saying is, I am a crazy person. Right. <laughs> and a liar. I also want to throw out there, I may be wrong about this, but I feel like one of the over-given pieces of advice around queries is the idea that you should like do all this research on every single agent and then in the query letter say, because you represent this person, I think it's a great thing to do. I'm not against it, but I don't think you should not query because you haven't you know, read a couple books by that agent. Yeah. I don't think any agent is going to be like, well, they didn't say that they love my books or why they're querying me, therefore, ergo, I'm not going to... You know, and, and they can spot when you're faking it. Right. That's what's more important, I think. I'm going to point out there are excellent resources on queries online. Yes. Um, there are a lot of agents who have blogs yep. um, who talk about query letters and critique them because query letters are quick and easy to critique. It's frustrating because if you're submitting only the query, it's not your writing skill, at least your prose writing skill, that's getting uh, you're getting judged on. It's your ability to write an engaging marketing piece. Um, which is why so many authors hate queries, um, and why I'm going to point you at, at experts online who will talk to you about it. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. We're actually going to stop now for our book of the week, which is actually a book by a friend of mine named Jason Denzel. You might know him as the webmaster of Dragon Mount, the main um, and most important Wheel of Time website. Well, Jason is also um, an amateur filmmaker and also a writer, and he has written um, a great little uh, YA fantasy book called Mystic. Um, it's Celtic-themed. Um, and has this this great uh, young woman protagonist who gets thrown through all, through all these kind of weird trials on her road to becoming a mystic. And it's published by Tor Books, my publisher. I read it and really enjoyed it. Um, and it's coming out. It actually came out about a month ago, so I would commend it to you. I think you'll enjoy it, particularly if you like uh, YA fantasy books. It's Mystic by Jason Denzel, and I do not know who the reader is because it actually, as we're recording this, hasn't come out yet. Um, uh, actually, oh. oh, wait, no, you just, yes. I am. I am going in um, as we are recording this. I am going in day after tomorrow to record to narrate this novel. That's right. You told me that like <laughs> an, uh, five minutes before we start recording, and I have written on my thing that I don't know who it was. But it's you. It's me. Pick up Mystic I'm... by Jason Denzel, narrated by Mary Robinette Kowal. Writing excuses, or excuse me, uh, audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. That's Start right. a trial membership, and uh, Jason's been a friend of the podcast for a long time, and yeah, uh, and I'm looking forward guy. to seeing what he can pull off. So, um, I want to pause here and actually ask a question myself, another one, because I, I, I made the other one go through one of our students, uh, self-publishing. <laughs> um, we are not covering self-publishing at all um, in this, and I think we need to touch upon it because self-publishing is totally legit these days. Yes. Um, the thing is that there's not a submission process so much as um, a process of coming up with a cover and coming up with cover design and hiring an editor, and that's a completely different process from what we're talking about right here. And we are maybe not the best resource for this. I mean, Howard does uh, a lot of self-publishing, um, and so you know we should we will try to get a self another self-publishing podcast. We have done them in the past. We'll point you toward those. Today we're talking about submitting your work for publication rather than self-publishing it. So, question comes from the audience. Can you submit to more than one publisher or agent at the same time? As long as it doesn't say you can't, then you can. Yep. 
Which um, would there be is a little bit of a, of, of a caveat here. Yeah. Generally, when they say they call this no simultaneous submissions, right. um, most, um, a lot of editors don't want a simultaneous submission. A lot of agents don't care. Um, but if they say no simultaneous submissions, that doesn't include your queries and things like that. Or mm. even in most cases, I've asked them, they don't care if you submit sample chapters. But if, so it usually goes, you send a query, they say, great, send me sample chapters. You send sample chapters like, this is really good. I want to see the whole thing. At that point, if they ask for the whole thing and they have a policy of no simultaneous submissions, what they're asking is, I want to see it myself for a short time in full and make a call on it. Um, and you can decide whether you send to them or to, if there's two other people who say, yeah, send it to me and they don't have that policy, I would probably send it to the two of them and send it to the one who says no simultaneous last. But a lot of them do say no simultaneous on fulls. Mm-hmm. Just make sure it doesn't go on forever. Yeah, don't go, it doesn't go on forever. If they keep it too long, send them a polite letter. Um, and, you know, like Moshe, my editor, he always takes simultaneous submissions because he knows he's super slow, like super slow. So he doesn't, ever, you know, he's like, I'm po- totally expecting you to submit this to someone else and sell it before I get to it because I'm Moshe. <laughs> um, so, so how long is too long? I get that question all the time. Whew. And how do you answer them? I answer them and say, I don't know. <laughs> and then I usually ask, how long did it take you? And they're like, uh, seven months. That's maybe too long. Yeah. You know, around three or four months is when I would say, definitely pester that editor right. again and say, hey, you still working on this? Huh. Took me a year to sell Shades of Milk and Honey to Liz Gorinsky with an agent, and she was someone I knew. Yeah, it took me 18 months for Moshe, but Moshe is Moshe. Yeah. Um, I say that it's... Yeah, but it's they'll, sending they'll, a polite question. Of, are, do you, yeah. Did you receive this, and are you still considering it? Yeah, uh, but also check their website because a lot of them will have something on there about what a re- about how long they take. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Excellent. Can you resubmit to an agent who rejected you after you have made revisions? Meaning, after you've made revisions, can you resubmit to an agent who rejected you? You can send them a query letter to say, "I have made revisions. May I resubmit?" Uh, but they will probably say no. Uh, you can't just resubmit Unless without permission. Unless they're revisions that they gave you, in which case you would uh, uh, arrange with them, you know, when. Unless when, they've asked yeah. you. Yeah, 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 if they asked you. But, but yeah. that's, that's the, an excellent answer. S- speaking as, as someone who used to work on a, on a science fiction magazine, if we were to reject something and then next month have the same thing back with, a, yeah. with changes, it just drove us nuts. It made us hate it worse. But a totally different work, I think, is fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 anyway, yeah totally but. In fact, um, uh, you'll get a sense for, as you're getting rejected, how well you're getting rejected. Yes. As you're getting close, your rejections get nicer, meaning you start getting... Instead of the form rejections, you start getting ones that are like, you know, I liked this aspect of your piece, um, but I thought it was too slow. I started getting these um, about two years before I published. The, they would send these rejections with kind of explanations of why they, didn't, they decided not to take it. And interestingly, with my who, the guy who became my agent, he, after I, he picked me up, said, you know, you really should have asked to resubmit some of these because he was sending me that by that point four page rejections wow. oh, with yeah. lots of detailed notes and he said I couldn't tell you I'd look at it again because I didn't want to um, you know make false promises or things like this but once you're getting that level of rejection that there's kind of an implicit promise that if you make all these changes and ask I'll let you, I'll look at it one more time and see if you're capable of making editorial changes. And for my agent, that was a big deal, someone able to make editorial changes and do it in a reasonable speed. And so he said, I should have 
asked more often to resubmit. The danger of that, though, and it's mm-hmm. true, but the danger is then impatience uh, yeah. because you feel like you, you attain this moment where you're like, oh, I've reached this level where now I'm getting these better ones. Yep. The end is in sight, but you can hit a holding pattern, which I did, hit a holding pattern where, you know, I was getting I was getting really nice rejections actually from Jump, and I still got rejected 40 times, like I said. So these are, you know, it's, a, it's sort of an expectations game. That you're playing with yourself where you're like having hope enough that you continue, but not where you're like, the next one is it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then when it's not, you're like crushed. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I, I want to say is that when if you get a personal rejection, if you don't agree with it, yeah, don't make the changes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, because an editor who wants to turn your book into something that you don't want to isn't the book that you wanted to have written is not the editor for you. And don't be lured by just having a sale because you don't yeah. have to sell your books in the order that you write them in. That's right. So you can, you know, you can write something else. I've known authors who have been strung along for a long time by an agent or editor who says, oh, try this revision. And they do it and they get it back and like, oh, try this revision. Never wit- never giving them a contract. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agree with Mary, though I will say another caveat. Um, you may want to try one of their revisions. Um, there are times where I've gotten feedback back and like, I don't like this. But I'll give it a try, and it was absolutely the right feedback oh, yeah. early in my career. Um, and so, I, I had yeah. that too. I had yeah. an agent who, and Nathan Bransford, who's not an agent anymore, but he's brilliant. His website has great advice about this stuff. Um, he was really into the book, but he was really into the first third of the book. And he was like, "If you're willing to scrap the second two thirds and start from scratch, um, which sounds really radical, and it is really radical, but his advice was so sound. His editorial advice really did get it back to the heart of what it wanted to be." And I was like, you know what? I really like where this guy's brain is, and he would be a great person to work with. So it was worth it to me. You know, so I made that choice. But you have to be really discerning yeah. about it. Don't just do it because they're a big agent, and you'll mm. do whatever it yeah, takes. Yeah, yeah. No. I had a a really big editor um, offer to accept I Am Not a Serial Killer if I rewrote it to take out all the supernatural stuff. Huh. It would have been a really good deal at a really good publisher, but that's not the book I wanted to sell. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, we are out of time. Um, I hope that this has been helpful to you. I hope you are ready to go submit this work and go get published so that we can have you as a guest star on the podcast. And um, to do that, I have some homework for you. Uh, you need to write a query letter. So what I want you to do is this is your basic format. Um, you're going to have an introduction paragraph. Then you're going to have a summary of your novel paragraph. And then you're going to have a tiny paragraph that is relevant biographical information about yourself, which can just be, this is my name. Um, It can be very, very short. But I want you to do this twice. The first time, I want you to write that summary for a book that you love that is not the book that you wrote. Mm. So that you are thinking about the things that Howard mentioned, character, conflict, setting, hook, with someone else's work. And then I want you to apply that that those lessons to your own work and write the query, the summary, as if it is a book that you love that someone else has written because it will help you to get focused on it and and, and not quite be uh, so flaily and trying to describe all of it all at the same time. All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. 
They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 